Scripture reading today comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. Let us hear God's word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear, one's, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the households of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'd like to invite children to come forward. We have a special message for you. If you could all sit in the front and we want to show you something, come on down. <laughs> all right. Mike, sit with Pastor Pia. Well, want to share with you guys, and some of you are in the narthex outside, uh, we want to show you this picture. What do you see? A broken pottery. And so a lot of times when we, when we see a broken pottery, we want to do one or a couple of things. One is we want to pick it up and throw it away. We want to take it and maybe try to re-ignore it. Sometimes we cover it up, we hide it behind in a closet. And sometimes we just look at it and we just get sad and I don't know, we, maybe we try to fix it, but we just leave it as is. So a lot of times we see a broken pottery, and it's just really sad. And today in Galatians, when Paul says when people are in sin, they're like broken pottery. They're like pottery that's been fractured. And Paul says to the church, this is what you need to do with pottery. We want you to restore them. And so this is Kintsugi art. I might have shown it to others. How many of you know Kintsugi art? Kintsugi art, it's, it's a Japanese art form where they intentionally break the pottery and then they infuse it back together with gold. And so it becomes even more beautiful, more special, precious. And the word that Paul uses, that God uses in Galatians to say when someone is in sinning and they're broken, help them come together, help them become whole and put their pieces back together like this. And so in the church today, when we sin, a lot of times uh, we look at people and we say, oh, they're, they're sinners, they're kind of bad, they made a mistake and we ignore them or we, or we just push them aside and we don't even do anything for them. But Paul says as a church, when people are hurting, Christ is the one that brings us together. We want to be agents that help sinners come together like this. And so I want to leave this picture up for even the main message, but the last 
message that Paul gives in his letter to Galatians is, now that you know Jesus is the one who brings all things together, not our good works, be a church that helps sinners not feel rejected, but to find hope so they could be brought together in Christ. So as we remember that picture, that's what Christ does in us, and that's the community we have. So let me pray for us. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you and we say thank you. We thank you for being a God who takes broken, fractured people in sin. And you're a God who brings us together. You glue us together in Jesus Christ. Lord, broken pots can't fix themselves. And broken pots sometimes get ignored. Broken pots sometimes are, are even crushed even more. And so, God, we thank you for your reminder that as a church, we would look after one another who are caught in sin, who are broken, so that in you, Jesus, they can be made whole. We thank you for this good news, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Barbara. So this is my Galatians uh, notebook for the past few weeks, and you can see it's been, it's been an amazing journey. I've never studied the Bible like this, and those of you who have done it, wouldn't it be cool by, as we turn into our dawn of our years, that we have a whole collection of 66 books. We do this through the whole Bible. And so in our life group, we're, we had such a great time, we're going to have a big potluck on Wednesday and we're looking forward to the next study we will be doing uh, after Easter. And so that book study hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, and it'll either be Ephesians or James. And so we will let you know about that. And if you have not been part of this study, we want you to be uh, plugged in, not just for the community, but for us to be richly studying the word and sharing that together. So Galatians 6. We made it through the six chapters of Galatians, and we kind of got the premise. Paul's been making it pretty clear. There is only one gospel. The way you and I are brought back to God, it's not by obeying the law, not by your good deeds. It's not because the kindness of their hearts, they're brought back to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so having said that, he ends Galatians in the chapter, final chapter with this. How now shall we live as gospel-centered people? How should the church look? And I think this is such an exciting part because it's very practical. What does this look like when we live it out at Community Presbyterian Church of La Mirada? What does it look like when we live it out in the churches around the whole world? So he begins with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin... It's caught in any transgression or caught in any sin. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So he begins by saying this. Now that we have a solution for sin, now that we have a solution for our fractured relationship with God, what do you do when you look around the church and you see people who are entangled in sin? Can you say the word restore? That's not a word that we hear a lot and we see a lot in church. Uh, I have a pastor friend, his name is Pastor Jim Bob, and he worked in many Korean churches, and he said, Pastor Jason, do you know what we tend to do as a church when somebody is entangled in sin and they're wounded? 
Instead of helping the wounded, we shoot our wounded. <laughs> when people make mistakes, we drive them out. We, we point at them. We shame them and we humiliate them so they go to a different church. But what's the word that we all just said? Restore. And the word here is when somebody is caught in sin, what should the church be looking to do? Restore. And how do we restore? With gentleness, spirit of gentleness, because we are spiritual. And so this is what verse 2 is talking about. This is how we bear one another's burdens. The word burden is heavy weight. And when someone is caught in sin, they're carrying a heavy weight. And sometimes we don't know it because they cover it up well with a smile. But once we are made aware of the struggle of sin, what do we do as a church? We bear we bear one another's burdens with him or her. This is why at church, um, when we come on Sundays looking pleasant with smiles, that's great. But there has to be a culture where we can be vulnerable and safe enough to share. And we all know it. Everyone's like, it's been a great week. Life is good. Things are fine. And then the real message comes out in an email or until a crisis explodes. But what if we could be a church, Asians, white, Hispanics, brown, black people, all people, we can be honest with each other and say, hey, I am carrying this burden. I am devastating my family. I am struggling with this sin. I need your prayers. And so in that way, we carry one another's burden. So Paul says those who are spiritual, walking with the spirit, you carry their burden. What I love about this message is this. Uh, and I, coming from a Korean church and being at a Caucasian church, predominantly or multicultural church, I noticed we have one thing in common. We, we are very uncomfortable with dealing with one another's sins. We either are too radical and extreme or we are very passive. We're not moderate. What I mean by that is a lot of times when there's a sin in the church, a lot of churches do this. They overlook it. They say, maybe if I ignore it, it'll just go away. Hey, so-and-so has been, you know, acting a little funny, and, you know, maybe we need to talk with them. Like, no, you know, just that's the way she is. That's the way he is. And we overlook it. We just let it pervade until it becomes toxic. Sometimes we condone it. We say, you know what? We're human. Who cares if elder so-and-so has had three girlfriends and he's married? You know, he's human. I don't know. Whatever it may be, we condone it. We start embracing it. And we look at sin not as something detestable to God, but we say, you know, it, it is what it is. The third is we condemn it. We love being self-righteous and we love looking at them and say, hey, Jason, we want to talk to you. You've been really bad. And, you know, and instead of restoring, we condemn. And so this is why Paul says this, keep watch on yourself lest you too be what? Tempted. Tempted to do what? And this is what Paul's getting at. Help them, but don't be tempted into feeling you're above this kind of sin. So help others in sin, but be careful, watch out, because you may become puffed up and arrogant. Um, you know, when you watch the news, how many of you think the news is all bad news? Mostly. How many of you have seen a lot of good news in the news? What sells? Gossip. Now, this past week, every day, what's been on the news? 
the, the slap, the, the Will Smith slap. And we have to take a step back as Christians, and how do we look at this? It's easy to say, what a jerk. I would never do that. You know, it's easy to say, this guy just about to win an Oscar, he does this in front of everyone. What a, what a jerk. And we, we feel puffed up. We feel like, oh, I would never do that. But as Christians, how do we approach it? The spirit of gentleness and kindness so that they could be restored. Because we too might struggle with this eventually. And so this is what Paul is saying. Deal with one another. Saying, don't overlook it. Don't ignore it. Don't condemn it. Restore it. So somebody, unknown author, wrote this. Too often we confuse love with permissiveness. I'm going to say that again. In the church, too often we confuse love with permissiveness. It is not love to fail to dissuade another believer from sin any more than it is love to fail to take a drink away from an alcoholic or matches away from a baby. True fellowship out of love for one another demands accountability. Now, you should memorize this first. Proverbs 27, 17, one of the best Proverbs. I learned this in college. What does it say? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is what Paul's talking about. That when we go to church, we are sharpened. When we go to church, we are strengthened. When we go to church, we can be people who can come like this. Because we know that through the community and through Jesus Christ, we can become like this. And so this is what Paul is saying. That's the goal, is to mend, repair, restore and keep watch over yourself. Um, on this same topic, do you guys remember the story of the prodigal son? Do you know at the end of the story, who was the lost son? The older son. We don't remember that part. So the prodigal son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Runs away, takes all the money, spends it on women, booze, and, and food. And he is broke. He uses up all his wealth. His friends leave him. He's eating pigs. Sty food. Then he says, how good my servants, my dad's servants have it. So he goes back. He repents. Father, I sinned against you. But you know the story. Before he approaches, the father sees him, runs to him, embraces him, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him. We're going to have a party because my son who was dead is alive. He was lost but is found. The story doesn't end there. There's the older son. And this fits Galatians. He's been good. He's kept the rules. He's earned his right to be the one that the father should celebrate, and he's furious. How could this good-for-nothing little brother have this party? You know what that older son doesn't realize? Grace. He thinks he's earned it. He deserves it. It's, he doesn't even need the father. He's earned it, and father, you die, it's all mine. He didn't come... Work hard for the father's love. He worked hard, just like the youngest son, to have the wealth. And at the end of the story, they're having a banquet. And who's outside in the cold, watching in, furious, grouchy? The older son. But the father has to go out to him. And so we'll keep watch. When we look at others, instead of spirit of restoring the sinners, and we look at them righteously, we, sometimes some people leave the church. I can't go to a church because so-and-so is such, such a hypocrite. And then we find ourselves cut off from the fellowship, miserable, grumpy. 
and unable to be restored. We forgot grace because what we're really saying is, I can be good on my own. And Paul says in Galatians, not by any of our works, but the blood of Christ. And so belonging to a church community is this willingness, by the way. You know what church membership is? It's this willingness to say, I want to be part of this community, and I covenant with you so that you could speak into me. You could hold me accountable, that you could walk with me. And when I sin, and I will, that you will be there to guide me and grow with me. And I am here for you. So instead of shooting our wounded, we help our wounded, and we pursue Christ together. And so, so there's another theme here in chapter 6. So as we go on, verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul's really giving fighting words. Whenever we think we're more important when we're not, we deceive ourselves. Um, this is the whole idea of when we compare my righteousness with someone else's righteousness, it's a dead end. I might have shared this story before too. By the way, pastors, we recycle stories. We forget how many times we use it. But have you heard the stories of two nasty, wretched brothers in a town? Nobody liked them. They were cruel. They were heartless. They were criminals. Anyway, one of them died. And so the famous story goes, the surviving brother goes to all the churches to say, my brother passed away. Can you do his funeral? And every pastor said, of course. But the surviving brother said, one condition. Can you say that he was a kind, humble, honest, genuine, compassionate, good-hearted man? And every pastor said, I, I can't do that. I can't lie. And so everybody in town was talking about it. And then this Presbyterian pastor said, I'll do it. No problem. And everyone was like, what? So the day of the funeral came, and it was packed because the town wanted to see, how is this pastor going to call this criminal, wretched, selfish, arrogant brother a good, humble gentleman? So the funeral goes, and he says this. He says, everyone, we're here for so-and-so. We know he was heartless. We know he was cruel. We know he was evil, he was unkind, never cared for anyone. But compared to his brother, he was honest, genuine, compassionate, caring, loving, and a good person. And so that's how he got away with it. The, the point of that story is when you compare, you can make anyone look good, yes? And so what Paul is doing here, he says what? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one taste, test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and then, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. What is Paul saying there? Help carry one another's burdens. That's sin. But each of you have your own load. And there's two different words for burden and load. Burden is this heavy weight of sin, like sin. Load is like a backpack that each one of us has to carry. You have your own set of tools. You have your own set of calling. You have your own responsibilities. You have your own struggles. You have your own unique set of things that God has purposed you for. You carry that. You have your own. Don't compare. I remember in John 21, one of my favorite stories, G Peter says, Jesus, I love you. We, you know, Peter, do you love me? I love you. Peter, do you love me? I love you. 
And then Jesus says this, one day you will be led where you do not want to go. And basically Jesus is saying, you will be killed for being my follower. And Peter says this, which I thought it was funny. Oh, that's great. He goes, what about this guy? <laughs> to John. And, and he's clearly saying, is that going to happen to him too? Why is that only happening to me? And Jesus says, whatever I do with him, what's that to you? You follow me. And I think that's the message for each of us. What God does with other people, what God blesses or even allows them to go through trials, what's that to you? Remember, you have your own distinct calling. Can you say this for me? I have a calling. Every single one of you. We forget that. You are not part of a church. You are the church. And each of you has a piece of it called by God, whether it's La Mirada or the world, and you have a calling. One more time. I have a calling. And we need to tell young people this. Your job is not to go to college and get a good job and live a comfortable life with a retirement. Your job is to pursue Jesus Christ to the very last breath. Carry your load. And so, stop comparing. You have your own journey. Stop condemning. Be engaged in a body. As iron sharpens iron, sharpen one another. So, when you do find yourself picking out on one another, and instead of helping them, you're looking at them, pointing fingers at them, and saying, what a wrecked mess you are. What's the antidote? Paul tells us. Verse 2, back in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? You know the four-letter word? Love. You don't have to follow the law to be right with God, but since you're right with God through Jesus Christ, follow the law out of love. Don't follow the law to be saved, but because you are saved by grace, follow the law joyfully. And let it be loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so he goes on, verse 6 through 10, and this is the second just part. This next summary is, the reminder is, just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean you do not do good works. So the Christians, out of humility, out of freedom, we should be the most kind, compassionate, generous people. Amen? Do you know why we should be the most generous people in the world? Just logically. We are where we are because God has offered the most priceless, precious gift to sinners, his son. Who are you to say, mine, mine, mine? <laughs> Who are we to think that all our money, time, and treasure is mine? If Christ has offered to us, we're ready to say, God, whatever it be your will, here it is. This is also following the calling. And so verse 6, let no one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So support those leaders around you. He also says, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And this one is common sense, isn't it? You put it, you get out what you put in. And this is not about salvation. This is about the fruit of your life. Some of you are like, man, I, I don't know why I can't grow with God. I can't, I, I feel like God and I are so distant. So basic questions, hey, are, are you taking time for him in the word? No, I'm pretty busy with work. Hey, have you been going to church? No, it's been pretty crazy. I, I, I just need one day off. 
Have you been meeting with Christians so you could pray together? No. And then we say, why do you think you feel so detached? You're reaping what you're sowing. It's not necessarily sinful, but you're not nurturing this spiritual life that you have. And so this is why we have prayer meetings. This is why we worship. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we need to connect. And some of us are like church is an option and we're drying out. And you're like just dried seaweed. (laughs) And you feel parched. We need to be drenched. We need to put in what we want to sow. In Paul's term here, he's talking about the flesh. When you live according to your flesh, anything you desire for pleasure, what do you think you're going to get? Devastation, corruption, destruction. So when we think about lust, money, the treasures of this world, these things in and of themselves are not bad, but when they become all that we think about, our hearts start deviating. So he says four times reap. He says three times sow. When we sow to the Spirit, instead, turning to the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, we realize we become like Christ. In a more salvation sense, when we turn away from Christ and turn to the things of the world, it only leads to death. Does God really care if you get a master's degree from Harvard or Yale at the end of your life and you're a billionaire? Or does he care not by the wealth you accumulated, but by the fruit that you stored up in heaven? By being worker, faithful servant of him. And so becoming right with God is only through Christ, but so good things to reap good things. And so I'm encouraged by this part. You should be too. He says, in due time, don't be weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I want to tell you a story of someone we know. Some of you know him. His name is James Lynn. He became a Christian, and his father was adamantly, I am not going to be a Christian. So 80s, dad, you know, this is Christ. And he said, no. And James never gave up. 85, dad, please, this is Jesus. He loves you. You know, he can save you. He gives you hope. Nope. Father turned 90. He's like a diehard atheist. Just drank. He drank like hard liquor. He's living till 90. He's healthy. And James said, I'm not going to give up on you. I think he was like 92, 93, something cracked. And James doesn't know exactly what, but he said to share the story. His father said to him, son, I want to be baptized. It's like, what happened? I think I, I see Christ. I believe Christ. And so James was so excited. How did this happen? There was no, there was no praise team. There was no concert. There was no Billy Graham. But all the seeds that James planted, the Holy Spirit nurtured. So at 92, 93, they went to the backyard, called the pastor, and they baptized him. And his father died about four or five years later. But his father's alive. So the work that we do, we may not see it now, but in due time, God will raise it and grow it. That's his job. Our job is to sow. And later on, we reap. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So how should Christians live? Let us do good to only the rich people, right? Only the rich people. You can't, you got to be nice to only the rich people? No. Oh, only the powerful people. 
No, what does he say? Let us do good to everyone. And then he adds this. And especially to those who are of the household of faith, i.e. who? Look around. Point to someone next to you and say, that's you. Just look around, that's you. So you know what this means? Be good to everybody, especially to those who are in the local family that God has created in you. This is how we are the church. And so Paul ends this beautiful letter in a controversial topic. And he says, religion that leads to death says, be good so you can be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, you've been saved because of Christ's goodness, so be good. Live out this Christian freedom with joy. And he wraps it up, and this will be my final words. I'll just read Paul's letter, verse 14 through 16. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Amen. Let it be so. May we walk, may we have peace, may we walk in this, live in this mercy that we receive from Jesus Christ, and may we live for God's glory as we do good to those around us, because we're freed from the bondages of sin. We're freed from the expectation of the law. Jesus Christ has purchased this freedom for us. Thanks be to God.